Good morning, Bethel Church. Wow, this is really cool and different at the same time. To be all together at 10 o'clock, and we'll be doing this throughout most of the summer as well. It's, it's just great to be here. Again, as Anthony said, I hope nobody sat in your seat. But that's all right. You should sit next to him and say hi to him and, and uh, love them as brother and sister in Christ. We've been working through in the last few weeks our BLESS series. And it's really a strategy for us to help us uh, to have some tools or, or ways that we can build a relationship with another person and share the gospel with them. It, it comes from a number of different sources, a number of different churches have used this, but, but at our men's conference, our No Regrets conference, there was a great seminar where one of the pastors shared this BLESS strategy and we've been following that over the last five or six weeks. Um, you probably, if you didn't, go ahead and pick one of these up. There's a bookmark at the information table that just tells what the five words are, what the five letters stand for. I encourage you to pick that up if you don't have it already. And put it in your Bible or put it on your fridge or your mirror and be thinking specifically this summer as we kick off summer, who can I bless uh, this summer with the good news of God's saving grace? So the letters are, the first letter is B. We begin with prayer. And so the goal is to spend time pray, praying for people and for places where you can uh, build relationships around Jesus Christ. And then L is, is listen. I'm gonna listen to others and hear what God is doing in their lives and, and be an impact there. And those two, praying and, and listening, go hand in hand together along with the third one, uh, which is eating, which really means just sharing a specific time and special time with other people to build a closer relationship. And as you eat together and then as you listen and as you be begin with prayer, uh, it moves on into the fourth letter, B-L-E-S, is serve. And we hear this, if we're listening, I think every week as we're talking with people uh, who we know, who don't know Jesus, we see ways and hear ways that we can serve them. And one of the best ways to serve other people, whether it be neighbors, friends, coworkers, relatives, is, is to pray for them. But also doing tangible things for them, little things that would encourage them as well. And then finally today, we, le we, we reach the last letter, the second S, which is share. Share the story of Jesus and what he has done in your life. And if I think about it for myself and for many of you, this is probably the most difficult one for us because this is where anxiety rises and, and fears rise and we wonder, what should I say? How do I say it? How do I make that transition? How, how can God use me in that? And uh, I share that with you. I've done a lot of evangelism training in, in college in a class. Um, we, uh, in interim class, we studied evangelism in the morning and then every afternoon we'd go to the U, to the Kaufman Union, we'd go to Rosedale Mall, we'd go door to door, whatever. I've done evangelism explosion, if you've heard of that, and I'm still scared when it comes to that point, fearful of what, sh what I should say and how God can use me. But God will, and God wants to use us. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at John 9 today a story of a man born blind, and, and if you don't have a Bible, you need one, please raise up your hands. The ushers are coming down. They can give you one to use this morning, or you can take it home as well if you need to. So go ahead and raise up your hand. We're going to be in John chapter 9 today, and I really want to come at this sermon from the perspective of questions that you might have 
about sharing your story because they're my questions as well as I think about this. And our three main points are really gonna be points that kind of answer the questions about sharing our story. And uh, this relationship with Jesus has with this man kind of illustrates uh, what we're looking at here this morning. So we'll be in John chapter nine, we'll work through most of the verses in this chapter. And uh, uh, the first question is, and this is probably yours as well, do I have a story to share? And our, por- our first point is that yes, you do have a story to share. You do have a story to share. Let's look and listen to what uh, Jesus interacts with, uh, with the blind man in John chapter nine. Let's look at verses one through seven. This is Jesus, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it's day, night is coming, when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. This man born blind is really an example for us, a model for us of, of sharing our story because throughout this chapter, he's going to do that. And he's gonna give us some examples or some ways to think about it. And we get the sense immediately when we read this, even though we haven't read the whole chapter, that this story is not just about physical blindness, but even more so about spiritual blindness. And we'll see that as we get to the end of the chapter. True, Jesus heals his blindness, but Jesus does more than that. And because part of what Jesus is saying here is we are all blind. We're all spiritually blind from birth. And we need Jesus to give us spiritual eyes to see him and know him and love him. Jesus' purpose here was to show a spiritual truth and I, and I really think that Jesus picked out this man at this time for a specific purpose because his blindness is an illustration of what he does and even going back to the Old Testament, how he works in our lives. Jesus here in this passage indicates that trials and difficulties and barriers are means that God uses in our lives to draw us to himself and to make us ready to hear what he has to say to us. What's the purpose of his blindness? Jesus answers it right there in verse three. He said that the works of God might be displayed in him. God is more glorified in in overcoming these difficulties to show the greatness of his grace and his love and his power. And in verse four, Jesus emphasizes our calling. He says, listen to these first two words in in ESV. He says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. Night is coming when no one can work. Jesus says here, we. He's talking first about himself and his disciples, and the reference he's making here is, is what he can do while he's there on earth but that we includes us as well as followers of Jesus. We must do those things. God calls all of us as believers, as Christians, as followers of Jesus to do as he is doing. Sharing the greatest work of God, uh, the salvation, the saving of a sinner from blindness 
to sight. And he also says there must, there's a divine necessity. It's our, it's our calling as believers. It's our chief calling to, to testify, to talk about the works that God has done in our lives and in others' lives. And it's not to be born out of, out of guilt, like I've, I've got to tell someone, but out of delight because of all the great things God has done in me, I want to tell others about it. And we're going to see that from this man here as we work through the story. But it's just such a great definition of your story. Your story, every single one of you who knows Jesus, your story displays the works of God. And God wants you to be a display for others to see. And you don't know what others are watching you or hearing you or are curious about why you live the way you live. And God wants you to display that and tell about it. So as we think about that, the first question you can ask yourself is, what was life like for you before Jesus? Maybe you trusted Christ as as a teen, as a young adult, later in life. What was your life like before Jesus? What kind of things did God do in your life to take you from blindness spiritually to sight? How were you in specific ways trusting in self or something else rather than in Jesus. Think about that specifically, because those are things that you can talk about and share with other people. What are the works of God that he's displayed in you? Some Christians call this our our testimony. That word comes from the idea of someone being in a courtroom and testifying in a case, and they're telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. They're telling what they saw or what they heard. And that's what we do as believers. We testify to what we've seen or heard or witnessed God do in our life. Your testimony isn't necessarily the gospel, but it points to what God has done in you, and it points to the gospel. Now, as I was working through this, a natural objection might come to your mind because it came to my mind as I was reading the story uh, because of the miraculous nature of what Jesus did. So it never happened before. A man blind from birth receiving his sight. And you might say, as I have have said in the past, you might say, well, my story isn't good enough. It's not amazing. It's not powerful like this story here. The story of a man born blind would be convincing, but not my story. And what I'd like to say to that is that's not even the right question to ask. You might look at the incredible and awesome story of someone who was saved. Maybe they were two years old dealing drugs and, and God saved them out of that. Or, that's supposed to be funny, maybe it's 10 o'clock, it should be 10.45, then you might get it. But you think about that, and I've done it too. I don't have as good a story as that other person. But for me to say that my story is not good enough is for me to say I'm better than that other person in my sin because my sin didn't need as much saving as their sin did. And and you see what's what's wrong about that? We're all sinners. There's no sin scale in heaven. God doesn't look at the one to ten and say, well, well, Craig's a nine out of ten, which is really bad. Andy's only a a five. Maybe Gary's a, a three. But Craig's really bad. He really needed saving. No, there's no scale in heaven. We are all sinners. Any one sin breaks our relationship with God, despite us having a sin nature, and makes us unholy, sinful and unacceptable to God to have a relationship with him. Any one sin. 
So it doesn't matter what it is. We're all dead in our sins. We need God to bring us to life. We're all blind, and we need God to make us see again. Every single one of us. Now think about this. Think about your life. You may not have thought about this before. Your story is a story of someone who God raised from the dead to new life. Your story is miraculous. You were dead in your sins and God brought you to life. Isn't that something to say amen about? Uh, Isn't that something to say amen about? Your story and my story is this. God is good enough and he's powerful enough to save even me. The essence of the Christian faith is that he is good enough and I am in him. Our story, our testimony is to share the works of God that he did in us so that others may hope in him. I I love Psalm 78, verses four and seven. Those have been uh, important verses in my life for for a long time. The psalmist writes this, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders he has done. Now that's just not the might and wonders he's done in God's, in his word, but in our lives as well. We're to tell of those things, why? Verse seven, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commands. So our, our story helps other people hope in God when they have nothing else to hope in. Helps them to see Jesus uh, enfleshed in a person to see how, show how God worked in a person's life. God wants us to tell of what he's done so that people hope in God. So if you don't think your story is good enough, you're diminishing the work of God in your life and the need that you had for God to rescue you from a place where you couldn't rescue yourself. Now my story, I was raised in a Christian home. I, I trusted Jesus at, at a very young age. I don't remember when that was. Uh, but I, I, I do know I, I lived like, like a goody-goody, like I was good enough because I acted good. I was like the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. I stayed, I stayed home, did everything the father wanted, but it was pride, it was self-centeredness. It was thinking that I could earn my own salvation. And, and God, later in my life, especially in high school, just, just showed me that as a believer, that hey, you're still trying to earn your salvation before me and you can't do that because I already did it, Jesus said. And your story may be just like that, but whatever your story is, our stories of God's work point to God and give good testimony to him. So if you're asking, do I have a story to share? The answer is yes, you have a story to share. Second question is this, you may be asking, well, what's my story? Your story is God's work in you. Let's look at verses 24 through 34. As this man talks about God's work in him. We skipped over parts where his neighbors talked to him, that religious leaders talked to him. So for the second time, verse 24, uh, he's brought before the religious leaders. And they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you're his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. 
but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. This man were not from God, he could do nothing. They'd answer it, they answered him, you were born in utter sin and would you teach us? And they cast him out. I, I love this guy, I don't know what his name is, we don't know his name, but his answers are, are so simple. They're just so straightforward. He just wants to tell what God has done. His story, first of all, verse 25, he says, one thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. And you have to understand that even though he's probably talking specifically about the physical blindness, he's thinking about the spiritual blindness as well. I can, I can see now, I, I understand. Simply, this is what God did in him. How has God changed you? What spiritual work has God done in you? Think about his mercy, his grace, his love, his forgiveness, his patience, his kindness. What has God done in you? When I, when I read this statement, though I was blind, now I see, I think of, of John Newton. John Newton lived in the 1700s. He was a slave trader in Great Britain and bringing slaves from Africa back to Britain and to other places. And God miraculously convicted him on one of his ship passages where he almost died and turned his life radically around. And John Newton wrote a number of hymns, including Amazing Grace, because he realized, and he said this to William Wilberforce once, once I was blind, now I see. Later in his life, he was losing his sight physically, but he could see better than he could ever see before spiritually. This man also said in verse 27, he said, Jesus can change you too. He said to the religious leaders, why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? It's almost like he didn't know who he was talking to. But I think he did. But his understanding was so simple and what Jesus had done in him was so amazing that he couldn't imagine that anyone else would not want to follow Jesus. He probably knew who the religious leaders were. They were, they were persecuting Jesus. Later they would kill Jesus. But this guy had hope that these religious leaders would respond. They would see who Jesus is. And so he said, you want to follow Jesus too, don't you? And he may have been shocked or not by their answer, but he was, he was being totally sincere with them, not sarcastic at all. He would follow Jesus anywhere, and he was saying anyone else would be a fool not to follow Jesus. This blind man here, on the, uh, the first day that he knew who Jesus was, he was making disciples. And all a disciple is is a follower of Jesus, someone who follows Jesus, who is changed by Jesus, and who's committed to the mission of Jesus. He didn't even know yet who Jesus was. Later in this chapter, we'll see exactly who he was, but he wanted to follow him. It was natural for him. This work of Jesus in his body and his heart was so amazing, as it is or it should be as, as we realize, every one of us, that we should be overwhelmed and amazed every day because of what he's done in us. 
Finally, he talks about what he knows about Jesus. Even though he's only met him once, even though he's never seen him, of course, because he's blind, so he's probably never even heard him before. But he says in verses 30 through 33, he says, hey, you don't know where he comes from, but he opened my eyes. We know God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. So he knows that Jesus is so close to God that God listens to him. He knows about Jesus in that way. He says in verse 32, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. So he knows this miracle is without comparison. It's never happened before, never. And so that testifies to who the person of Jesus is. And then he says, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Do you see the connections he's making here between what Jesus did and who he is? What he, what he did in this situation, in this event, shows who he is. It shows his greatness and his power and his glory. He shows where he comes from. It shows Jesus. So let me ask you this question, something just to think about for a second. How does your life show that you have met Jesus, that God has done a work in you? And I want you to think about this for 15 seconds. Let me just finish the, what I want you to do first and then think about it. Think about your life. Think about one thing, maybe recently, maybe when you were saved, whatever it might be, one thing that God has done in your life that testifies to his work. Maybe he's helped you in the area of patience or the area of, of lust or whatever it might be. And then write it down, either in your mind or on a piece of paper. I'll give you 15 seconds to do that. We're going to have 15 seconds of silence. Just write down one word or one phrase that testifies to you of a work God has done in you. Go ahead and do that. That word or phrase, first of all, should be an encouragement to you. You can look back and see, hey, God did this. I haven't thought about that lately, but God did this. But it's also something you can talk about with someone else. Hey, I just want you to tell, tell you about something God did in my life, and I can, I can be sure that this is only God who's working here. So let me review. The answer to the first question is that I have and you have a story to share. The answer to the second question is that my story and your story is God's work in you. And then the third question is why? Why should I share my story? And the point is, or the answer is, it's your purpose in life to, sh to tell God's story. It's your purpose in life to tell God's story. Let me read verses 35 through 41. Jesus heard that they cast him out, and having found him, he's talking about the man born blind, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt, but now that you say we see, your guilt remains. 
We haven't talked about this, but the context of this passage is really important. Jesus is in Jerusalem at a specific festival time. Once a year, usually at least three times a year, Jews would try to come to Jerusalem and gather for certain feasts. And the feast that they were gathering there for was the Feast of of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And it was a reminder of the 40 years in the wilderness when the Israelites had to travel from place to place. They were led by the pillar of fire at night and the pillar of cloud during the day. And they had to have some place to live, so they made what you might call makeshift tents but they weren't really tents by our standards, but places to sleep at night. And they had to be portable because they didn't know how long they'd stay in any certain place. They might stay a day, a week, a month, or a year, but whenever the cloud moved or whenever the fire moved, they would follow it. They would lead them, God would lead them by his light. And so at this time when Jesus is here in Jerusalem, Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. I am that light that led you. I am God, God's son. And Isaiah prophesied about this, specifically about our calling. He said in Isaiah 42, six and seven, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. So he's he's saying here, he's claiming to be the light of the world and he's really emphasizing what this passage says and saying, hey, this is your calling, just as it is my calling. He promises us, he says, I will take you by the hand. I will accompany you in this purpose I have for you, in those relationships, in those conversations that you have. I'll be there with you, I'll keep you, I'll safeguard you for that purpose that I have for you. And he says, I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. So what he's saying is his his covenant of love and grace and mercy for his people is now us. I am and you are that, that covenant. You are a light, just as Jesus. You're the light that displays the one true light. God is calling you to be conduits of his grace. And God wants to use me and God wants to use you. We don't know what part we're going to play in someone else's life in them understanding who Jesus is. And many, if not most of us, kind of go through a process of, of hearing of Jesus and hearing about him until we finally trust in him. And, and we don't know where we're involved in that process in another person's life. In fact, if, if we look at this passage of the whole passage, and if you read it when you're at home, you can see that this man kind of went through a progression even on this day of understanding who Jesus was. In verse 11, he says, well, the man named Jesus healed me. In verse 17, he says, well, he's, he's a prophet. In verse 27, he's asking other people, do you want to be his disciples, his followers too? Verses 31 and 33, he's saying, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And then finally, in verse 38, he's saying, Lord, I believe, and he worships him. Jesus served this man. Jesus listened to his man. He, he healed him from his blindness to show that the Son of Man lives and reigns and wants to live and reign in his life. And God wants to use us in that process, somewhere in that step. So we don't know how what we say to another person, even if it's just a phrase or a verse 
Maybe it's just I'm praying for you, or how can I pray for you? How is this going in your life? We don't know how God is using that, but we don't need to know. We just need to be faithful to be witnesses of him. There are many ways to share the gospel. You may have heard ways before. If you, if you have the Speak Truth app that we made a couple years ago, there's a gospel presentation in that. Uh, but I want to share one with you as well. I'm going to have a, a whiteboard brought out because I, I'm a teacher. I like to teach, and so I'm also a visual learner. So it helps me to, to, to see things, images that illustrate. And so I want to share a, a simple gospel presentation that's called uh, two ways to live. In fact, if you go home or if you're watching online, you can go twowaystolive.com and you can see this gospel presentation there. And it's also written for kids. It's called Who Will, Who Will Be King? And it, really sh- and it really shows us who is king of our life and how Jesus can be that king. And so it, it, it comes through in, in images here. In this first image, we can see God made the world. God is the creator of the world, and he's the ruler of the world. And he's made us to follow him and to live under his good rule and good authority in in our lives and in this world. Revelation 4.11 says this, You are worthy, our Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So he's, he rules the world and he's made us like his under shepherds in this world. So God created the world good, but we can all see that something has happened, that this world is not as good as it was in the beginning. And that's what the second image illustrates. We reject God's rule. God rules over this world but we want to be our own kings. We want to rule our own lives, don't we, as human beings? We're, we're born that way with the sin nature. We want to make our own decisions. We, we believe in Frank Sinatra theology, I did it my way instead of God's way. And so in, in thought or word or deed, we do that. We reject God and his rule in our lives, and we run our own lives, and we rebel against him. Isaiah 53, verse 6, just the first half says this. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And so there's a problem with that. What's what's God going to do about that? So as creator and ruler of this world, he's, he's loving and he's holy, but he's also just. And we understand justice in our lives. And we understand injustice. And the only way that we understand justice and injustice is because we're in the image of God and God is the God of justice. And so when we die and we are laying in our graves, there are consequences for what we've done. God won't let us rebel against him forever. And there is a day, even as we sang, even as we saw in the passage here, there is a day of judgment coming. Hebrews 9.27 says this, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. It's hard to hear, but that's not the end of the story. There is an answer. God has an answer for each of us. And that answer is the person of Jesus Christ. 
Because of his love, God sent his son into the world to take our sins upon himself, to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for our sins. And so God provided that answer. Jesus always lived under God's rule, and so his, his life is living was sinless, and his punishment was taken for us. And if we read all of Isaiah 53, verse 6, we see this, all we like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, that's Jesus, the sins of us all. But that's not all, that's the, not the end of the story. Jesus didn't just die, he rose from the get, dead. And now Jesus reigns in heaven with his Father because God raised him from the dead as ruler and judge of our lives. He's conquered sin and death and hell and Satan and he offers us forgiveness and new life. 1 Peter 1.3 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth through a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So Jesus' resurrection means something for us for you and for me. And this presentation is called Two Ways to Live or Who Will Be King because we really have only two choices in our life. We can live with ourselves as king of our lives and rebel against God and his good and loving rule in our lives and face that judgment or we can live with Jesus as the king of our lives. And John 3.36 really uh, proclaims that, the two options. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. And so it's a simple choice. Who's gonna be king of your life? Which way are you going to live? I'd like, I'd like to pray before I I finished praying and share the one thing, but I'd like to pray for you, whether you're here or listening online, uh, that if God is working in your heart, that he would do something right now that should respond to him. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for the work of your salvation, for the gift of your son. And Lord, I pray for anyone who might be listening, whether they're here or listening online, maybe today, maybe years from now, who knows? but you're working in their heart. And I pray if, if you're listening and God is working in your heart, I just encourage you to pray this prayer right now. This is just a sample, just an example. You can pray whatever you want, but this is kind of an idea of how you could pray. Dear God, I know I'm not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of eternal life. I'm guilty of rebelling against you and ignoring you. I'm sorry, I need your forgiveness. Thank you for sending your son to die for me so that I may be forgiven. Thank you that you rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me that I live, may live with Jesus as my ruler. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, whether you're at home, please email us or, or call the church office on Tuesday. If you're here, maybe write it on your comment card. Talk to one of our pastors or elders afterwards. This, this is the most important thing that can happen in your life. And we want to help you uh, to grow in that relationship with Jesus. And just for our one thing, kind of wrap up this series, this blessed series is bless someone this summer. Think about all five letters, begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, share, and allow God to lead you 
to bless someone this summer.